Last week, I began talking about faith and, you know, just how important faith is in our lives. We talked about faith being a substance. You know, faith is a true thing. It's a real thing. It's a commodity. It's something that you, in the spiritual realm as a believer, you can hold on to faith. Faith is something that when we hold on to it, we begin to see God be God. Amen? How many of you just love when you get to see God be God? Amen? Because when God's being God, it means that he's doing something beyond what we can do in ourselves. Amen? So, so often we try to accomplish everything that we can do in our own strength, in our own grace, in our own power, those things that, you know, we try to accomplish on our own. But when we are doing everything that we can do only by what we can do in our natural abilities, then we're leaving God out of the equation. Because see, when we're doing what we can do in the flesh, it means that, that there's no gap between us and God. And we need to have a gap between us and God. That's where faith comes into play. Faith comes into play when you get a revelation of how good God is or what God can do in a certain circumstance or what God can do in a situation and you know you're not there yet. But you hold on to that manifestation when it comes into your life and you realize that somewhere between the place you are and the thing that God is saying, you're, you're not there yet. And this is what we call the, the faith gap. This is the gap that lies between us and, and, and the destiny that God has for us. And I'm just going to be honest with you, this is the devil's playground. He loves to play in that area where we have to believe in God by faith to accomplish what he said that we can do. But if you're not at a place where you're here and God's there, then you're walking by what you can only do in the flesh. And we are designed not to be people who walk uh, by, by, by sight. We're supposed to be people that believe uh, for the invisible things of God. That's what faith is. Faith is a biblical kingdom substance that opens the door for a believer to experience, listen, the most expensive and costly that God has to give. I mean, God has something that's so incredible for us, but faith is the key that unlocks it and makes it happen. Only by faith can we see God in that way. It opens the door for us to experience supernatural power that the flesh cannot provide. Supernatural power that the flesh cannot provide. One of the things that we talked about, and I'm telling you this is a reoccurring theme uh, in, in what I think right now and what I believe is happening in our nation, is, is faith is something that begins to be manifest in you as an individual. Something happens, you begin to get excited, you, you know God's doing something, you might not know exactly what he's doing, but this is where the idea of who we are together comes into play. I said to you last week that faith comes to you as an individual, but it is born in community. In other words, you, you get a revelation of who God is, and as we draw together, then we have the courage and the encouragement to move forward. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our hope, the confession of our hope, Faith is the substance of things, what? Hoped for. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without what? Wavering. We're going to talk about that today, later in my message. For he who promised is what? Faithful. Come on now, so let's say that together. He who promised is faithful. The promises of God are yes and amen. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. That if God says that when you trust him in X, Y, or Z situation, he will show up in the midst of that circumstance in your life. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. This is what we do together. We can consider each other together. And by love and, 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 and these things, we stir up the good works, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many of y'all would agree with me that when you woke up today, that you were one day closer to Jesus coming back? Amen? Amen. Sometimes we lose that perspective, and it, it, it dampens the drive that we have to do the things that God has called us to do. By faith, Jesus came the first time, and by faith, he will come the second time. There's so many things that the Bible talks about of us making sure that we're ready for when he comes. We don't know when he's going to come, but that we need to be ready when he does. Amen? Amen? It's not a matter of if he's coming. It's a matter of when is he coming. We know he is coming again. And so that's what faith does. Faith brings us to the place to where we have to understand the things that God has spoken to us and have a belief that they can happen. But what is the reality of the way that man lives life? So often, man lives life in that place of wavering, as it says here in the Word. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 9. Let's begin here today. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and let's look at verse 14. Mark 9, 14 says this. And when, he, and when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. And when he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, why would, why would Jesus say that? I think he said that because the whole mission that when he came in Mark chapter 1, it was to show his disciples the power they had to carry on the New Testament church. And, and as, as, as he began to teach them, they didn't pass every test. But see, a good teacher doesn't stop where a student fails. A good teacher continues to teach until the class understands everything that's being taught. 
Would you agree with me? And I would, I, I, I say that Jesus was a good teacher. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? It's interesting, Jesus is having a conversation, this gets flopping all over the place, and he's really not impressed with what the devil's doing. So it's like, uh, Megan's on the floor doing that, and Jesus goes up to Tammy and says, hey, Tammy, how long has Megan been doing that? It's like, wow, that's crazy. How long have you let her do that? How long has she been in that state? And uh, that just, just, and he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And here's what Jesus said. He said this to him. If you can believe. Faith is all about, see, faith is the noun. Belief is the, the, the verb. It's the action. It's not just enough to know what Jesus can do, but you have to activate it. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, this is going to be good news today. I just got a feeling. Hallelujah. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, here's the interesting part. This, this guy's face to face with Jesus. He's already had the discussion about the disciples. He's seen the disciples who are standing in for God couldn't make this happen. But now he's standing with God. And this is what he has to say. Because what he saw before didn't work the way he thought it would. And it says, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears. This guy was, he was on his last leg. And Jesus knew that. And it said, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. And then he says, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Such a natural position for somebody to be in who has been dealing with something like this guy has been dealing with for the length that he has dealt with it. Immediately the father of the child cried out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people had came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. The spirit cried out and convulsed greatly and came out of him. And he became as uh, one dead, that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. Come on now, because everything that Jesus does, he resurrects. Would you agree with me? This guy, this kid wasn't dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. In verse 20. Before this, this is the scene where Jesus saw the fig. It was the fig tree. It was out of season, so there weren't any figs on it. And so he cursed the fig tree. Why did Jesus do that? Because he had something he wanted to teach later down the road. Was he mad that the fig tree didn't have any figs? No, he knew. He knows the seasons, but he set it up as an example. So he, he cursed the fig tree. Now, on, in verse 20, it says, Now in the morning they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. And they, 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 this is the same fig tree that just had leaves and everything on it. And now they went by it and it was like, whoa, 
<laughs> Whoa, this actually happened. And so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. See, he's giving them an example of what he can do. See, when you begin to get an example of what God can do in your life, then the next thing that comes up to you is only half the challenge of the other thing that you just dealt with. And then when you see God deal with that thing and you go to the next thing that you have to deal with, this thing has only got a quarter of the ability to, to make you waver. And then when that thing happens, that thing happens and God keeps dealing with them, then you begin to know nothing is impossible with God and whatever comes your way, you're able to stand in faith because you've had multiple examples of how God could work. You've been at the place where he gave you a revelation of who he is and now you've got to the place to where you've seen the manifestation of who he is. And once you get to the place from revelation to manifestation, you are a total different person. You're a total different person. You think differently, you talk differently, you act differently, you, you, you believe differently. But see, this is where the enemy wants to come into play. It's somewhere in between here. And so he said, just have faith. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and what? Does not doubt in his heart. Isn't it interesting? He says, does not doubt in his heart. Why did he say, does not hope in his mind? Because see, that is where hope is. Hope is in our mind, faith is in our heart. Faith is in a place in your life that it's deep into your being. And out, out of the abundance of what's in your heart, that's how you react. And so he says, whoever does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Jesus is a good teacher. He keeps giving them different examples of just believe, just believe, just believe. And in... Uh, Luke 17, we saw that the, the guy with the son who had the issue, he said to Jesus, man, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah. Now, there's another group of guys that are going to say the same thing. It says in verse 5 of Luke 17, and the, and the apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. They knew that the place where Jesus was going to ultimately take them, it was going to require that they had an increase in faith. Now listen to what Jesus said. He's not maligning the place they're at. He's encouraging them to say, whatever you had, it's all good. Listen to what he says. If you have the faith as a mustard seed. How many of y'all have seen this example a hundred different times? A mustard seed can hardly, you can hardly see it when it's on the tip of your finger. That's how, how little it is, but it grows into something big when you plant it into the earth. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But the, the disciples said, Jesus, increase our faith. We see what's ahead for us we know a little bit and we know we're not there yet for what you need us to do 
Well, how do we get to that place to where we have what it takes to get to where Jesus is taking us? Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14, says this. Do you know what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Why do you think we put so much scripture in every message? It's not just enough for you to listen to me talk. I, I, I only want to talk about what God has said. And you need to know what God has said, and then I'll try to help you understand it a little more. But the whole point of a message to me is, is what does God have to say? You know, this morning I was praying and I was getting ready to say, Lord, we only have 52 weeks out of the year to meet. Let's make this special. But guess what? We ain't got 52 weeks this year, did we? We had times when we couldn't meet together. So the idea of how special it is every Sunday morning to, to get the word of God so that if we're here or not, you are equipped to do what God has called you to do. People around the world have been in situations where they did not have a group to meet with, but what they got while they met with those people is what carried them through the circumstance and situation they were in. Trust me, when Ben Mawima got arrested by the Ugandan special forces and he got thrown into the Idi Amin death camp, he wasn't in that 10 by 10 cell with 100 believers. He was in that cell with 99 other men who were going to die, and they just didn't know how they were going to die. But Ben had some kind of supernatural faith inside of him that brought him to the place to where he would even worship for 12 hours by not singing out loud, but mouthing the words of a song. See, God had planted something deep into his heart that when it came time to be in an undescribable situation, he was not out there just to survive on his own. He was ministering to the other 99 guys who had no faith like his to know that God was with them. And even if they were going to die, they could ask Jesus Christ to be in their heart and they could live forever in a much better situation than that cell could have gave us. What an amazing testimony of uh, uh, a person who would go into an Idi Amin death camp would never come out, never come out. And they would taunt you and play with your mind and, and, and say things like, you know, they would say, we're going to let these three people out. They were the three people they killed yesterday. That kind of mental torment that, that people do in those god-awful situations of of people that operate in socialism and communism that try to lord things over people to that degree but one day a general came in a giant man with a with a general's uniform and called out his name his future wife's name and the person that was with them when they were passing out the tracks when they got arrested and the little guard that was beside him, when Ben and those guys came to the front and said, that's us, we're here. And the guy says, oh no, you can't let them out, this is a mistake. And the general said, open the door. You called their names, you're letting them out. And they had this discussion until finally, the general just said, open the door and let them out. They opened the door, they let them out, and all three of them escaped death. A week or so later, the Tanzanian army came in and overthrew Idi Amin. And in this exact death camp, they shot everybody in that cell before they left the scene there. You think that general was an angel? 
Do you think that general didn't know what his assignment was? Do you think when Ben left the cell, he knew that God by faith, he believed that God got him out? What then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And then verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how our faith comes. We have to continually inundate ourselves with the things of the Word of God, and that's what builds our faith to the place that God wants it to be. But there's something in us, the disciples, and in this lesson today, there's things that challenge our faith so that we don't go to the place where God has called us to ultimately go. And when we don't do that, there's casualties of the gospel. When we're supposed to go from point A to point B and we never make it to point B, do you not think that there was a purpose to be where God had called you to be? And see, sometimes we lose the fervor for our intensity of the place that God's called us to go. And we have to understand something. How many of you understand that the enemy has a toolbox? That he's full of schemes to bring destruction to your personal life and the personal calling that you have. One of the things in his toolbox is unbelief. And unbelief is anchored in what is visible or reasonable apart from God. That's what unbelief is. It's anchored in those things. Let me read that again. Unbelief is anchored... Uh, on what is visible or reasonable apart from God. It honors the natural realm as superior to the invisible or supernatural realm. That's why we've said for years here, we need to see the invisible and believe the impossible. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. That's the scripture that verifies that which I just said there. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. God wants us to operate in a realm that's outside of who we are, but who he is. And so that's where the things that are manifest into our hearts come to play. Now, there's four times in the, the New Testament where Jesus challenges the faith that his own disciples had. Now, this is interesting because he's not talking to people outside of the, the kingdom, those who haven't said yes yet. He's talking to those who are walking with him. And he's teaching them that these four areas must be met in your life if you're going to carry out the fullness of what the New Testament church was called to do and be. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 25, he says this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay, what, 
Then 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Look back into scripture, or verse 19 for a minute. In verse 19, before this text, Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? For there your what is? Your heart. He didn't say your mind, he said your heart. See, this is, faith is an issue of the heart. See, when Jesus captures your heart, you start at, at, at point A, and you turn your face to point B. And you get excited to take the steps for that journey. And when you get a roadblock, then you, that's a place where your faith is challenged. Your heart says, I'm going to move forward no matter what's in front of me. And so, so he's, Jesus is saying, be careful with money. Don't make that your central focus. Lay up your treasures in heaven. And then in verse 24, he goes on to say, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches, God and mammon. You can't serve them both. Isn't it interesting? You can't serve them both, but God can provide your riches. Mm. You can't serve them both, but God can provide everything that you need. We used to sing a song, My God shall supply all my needs. Sing it with me. According to his riches and glory, he has gave his angels. Yes, I love that song. I can't tell you how many times I sing that song remembering the faith I need for the next place that God is the one who's supplying all of my needs. And when that's in my heart, I know what's going to happen. Now, he says this. He's challenging them about worry. See, when you're serving money, then you begin to become anxious about it. There's your sign. There's your sign. That might be a sign. I forget which comedian said that. That might be a sign. But the idea is this, is that how do you have a litmus test? That when money is what you're worried about all the time, then you're not operating your finances in the, in the way God would have you to operate. Amen. See, when God provides for you, everything you need is in that provision. And you have to trust God wherever you are. And it's interesting, whether I've had 19,000 or 69,000, God was right in the midst of all of it. Right in the midst of all of it. Providing everything that Tammy and I needed for our family. But you know what? It wasn't a matter of if God was going to be first at 19 or 69. Let me give you a little financial lesson here. If you don't tithe when you make $10,000, you ain't going to tithe when you make $100,000 or $200,000 or $300,000 because it's a matter of where your heart is. See, faith in God is, is a, a faith with the first dollar that you have. 
And it's interesting, when we gave our kids, I told you, allowances, we gave it in 10 dimes. And that first dime that always was, came out was to God. Girls, this is to God. Girls, this is to God. Girls, this is to God. If you'll do that for God, the rest of your life, he will supply everything that you need. And that's all they knew, so that's what they do. We need to have that like a child attitude. If that's what God wants us to do, then that's what we'll do. And so when we look at what he says here, he's talking about birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, but he takes care of them. And he says, are you of not more value than them? Just how valuable do you find yourself? See, we, we see this so often, people trying to get this self-esteem and this this thing, we're trying to, you know, positive thoughts and comments and, and everything. How about you positively just trust on God and everything that you need? You'll have God esteem. And when you have God esteem, you don't have to worry about the other things. When your value is in the Lord, you have all you need. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to his stature? Which, which of you have worried when you were adding up your checkbook and then more money appeared? Nobody. Nobody increased their checkbook through worry. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then Jesus uses this this phrase, O you of little faith. O ye of little faith. He's saying that to his disciples. They must have been worrying about how things were going to be taken care of if they chose to walk out and serve the Lord. And he's saying, look, I got you. I, I will provide for you. I will make sure it happens. But one of the things you have to understand are these four things that I'm going to talk to you about today are the areas where the enemy attacks you. There is nothing that has destroyed dreams and visions more than provision. Where people have said, I know God's called me to accomplish this, but when I step out to, well, I just don't see how that can happen, and, and I don't have the money for it, so, you know, well, one day when God provides the money, look, God's looking for you to take a step, and that's where he provides. You take a step, that's where he provides. You take a next step, that's where he provides. And when you take the next step and you get your heart right, then what you end up having is not just provision for what you're doing, but he gives you extra for where you're headed next. See, this is trusting you with a few things. And with a few things, like he's getting it. With a few things, he's getting it. With a few things, and then he says he's got it. So I'm not only going to hit him for what he needs, but I'm going to blow his mind and give him what he already is preparing to do next. How do I know that? Because when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, why would Jesus go to all the trouble to put in the Bible that he sent them around to collect all the leftovers? See, he just didn't give them the food that they needed for that meal. And those folks ate, every, it was like Thanksgiving. They had to loosen their robes. They had to like take their robe belt and go, whoo, we're loosen that puppy. I ate more fish and bread than I have in a long time. 
And then he went around and he collected all the extra bread and the extra fish. And he made reference to there were multiple baskets of the things that were left. For what? The next encounter. Remember that. I'm going to bring that up in a moment. So, he says, therefore don't worry, saying, what shall you eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knows that you need of them. He already knows that. So he says this, seek first the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody tell your neighbor, come on, seek first God's kingdom. And his righteousness, and then what will happen? All of these things will be added to you. Everything you need will be added to you. So he says this, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day. Okay, you got enough to do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. God's got your today and your tomorrow in order. And so we already said that uh, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. His riches are what's going to supply you, not what you can do on your own. I would rather have his riches than mine any day, amen? That means that I've got a 401k in the sky. I was called a 401g. Hallelujah. And we got an account in heavenly places that God will release to us anytime we're stepping out to do his will. His will. So many people get to part A and they're like, you know, this is boring. I just don't know what to do. And I, you know, God told me this and nothing's happening. And it's like, God's up there going, then move. Do something. Make me, make me show you how my promises are true. There's an, I don't need to do anything for you when you're right here. But when you're here, you'll get to see the invisible and you'll begin to believe for the impossible. So the first thing that he dealt with was provision. Because that's the place where dreams die. How many of you have a dream of what God wants you to do right now, but there's a cost behind it, and so you've let that dream uh, go off to the wayside? Well, listen, your God will supply all of your needs. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Four things that God said to his disciples that are faith busters. Why do you have such small faith? And in verse 23, it says, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. I don't think there's any place in the New Testament where, and somebody will look this up and refute me, and that's good, and then I'll preach a message on that next. <laughs> I would love that. But in, from what I see, I don't think there were four places where Jesus just purposed to talk about the same thing in four different ways. Why? Because faith is critical to the moving forward of the kingdom. We have to have faith. And so Jesus said, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And then the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The second thing, first is, is uh, provision over faith, okay? The second is fear over faith. The enemy digs deep into his toolbox, and if he couldn't get you to not do what you're going to do because God is providing, the next thing he'll do is he'll bring fear into your situation. Somewhere in this place between A and B, fear is going to come into play. 
Guarantee it. You guys all know that fear almost destroyed my destiny. I mean, how can you go to Burundi and Rwanda and, and Nigeria and all these places without flying? But if you have a fear of going six feet off the ground, how can you go 36,000 feet into the air? The enemy has a way to control you, to manipulate you, that you will let those things fester in your mind. Isn't it interesting? In the place of the mind is where the enemy has his playground. And if your mind is not full of the things of God, then the enemy has full reign to, to play with your thought process. I get so frustrated when I hear TV evangelists tell people, if you haven't read your Bible in two weeks, don't worry about it, just get in today. I'm sorry. If I wasn't with Tammy for two weeks, I'd go nuts. I mean, the first trip I took to Cuba, I had one half-hour conversation with her, and I whined like a baby. Just ask Pastor Chuck. They were tired of hearing about, see Tammy. What do you think your spirit is saying when you deprive it for a week, two weeks, three weeks from the Word of God? Your spirit's going, I need Jesus. I'm stuck in your flesh. Give me some Jesus. Please give me some Jesus. And so when, when it says, then he arose and he rebuked the, the winds and the wave and there was great calm. And so what happened? See, this is what happens when you walk by faith. It says, so the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obeyed him? I want you to understand there's several things that people fear. One is people have a fear to build relationships. They have a fear to build relationships because they think they're not as good as the other person that they're going to relate to, so they don't want anybody to see what they're not because it might not be as much as the other person has. Listen, that's not God. God is the God of relationships. He's put you in that place because that person might be the person to help you gravitate to what God wants you to ultimately be. And you need to be around people that are much stronger in the faith than you, that have much more than you have. You want to gravitate to those types of people. But see, people fear building relationships because they don't think they're enough. Second thing is, is people are afraid to be real. They're afraid to be real because they, you're afraid that your bad stuff is, is, is worse than their bad stuff. Listen, we all got junk in our trunk, amen? We all got junk in our lives. I wish I could tell you that I was pristine and perfect and I floated in in a Philip experience today. He transformed me from Carroll Eastern Road to here today and Tammy and I didn't even have to drive. No, the Honda Pilot's out there and we both struggled this morning getting up and getting ready because neither one of us slept well last night. And so, but here we are. <laughs> oh, in all of our glory. People are afraid of being real. Third thing is, is people are afraid to fail. So if, if, I, if I step out and do what God is calling me to do and I don't do it the right way and I fail, what are people going to say? Did you really hear God? No, see, that's what the enemy says. See, that's what the enemy says. We'll talk about that in the next example, though. The other thing people are afraid of is they're afraid of the demonic. 
They're afraid that, that the enemy, if they have to get face to face with the enemy, that they'll be like the seven sons of Sceva and that they'll get spanked. Jesus, I know, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of, who are you? And they're afraid. It's like, dude, I know, I know who I am, so I'm not going to confront anything demonic. The other thing that people are afraid of is dying. They just have a great fear of death. Listen, death is the ultimate victory because Jesus has conquered death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, hell, where is your sting? I, 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 I pulled the stinger out of the enemy. So those who believe by faith were saved by faith. Were saved by what? Grace. That's right. And not by faith. It's his grace that brings us into this place of salvation. And so when I die, I'm, I'm going to get a better deal than what I have here anyway. Right? Would you? Oh, well, see, that's the problem. You don't, you don't know for sure. You need to know for sure where you're headed. So fear is something that the enemy uses, takes out of his toolbox. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God's not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of love and sound mind. And he's touched us with who he is and not who we are. Pastor Caleb, I'm going to steal something from you this week. Yeah. It's going to take me way too long to finish, and what I have to finish is way too important. I just wanted to get your reaction. It's like, I'm kidding. Okay, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. The third thing that, that in the place where Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith is here. Same thing, same circumstance, they're in the sea. Now evening came, verse 23, he sent the multitudes away and went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now when the fourth watch of the night, Jesus uh, went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear, cried out for fear. They were, their, their fear was is because Jesus was walking on the water. Listen, we have to understand that God is God. He can do, be, and say anything he wants to do, be, and say. I was cracking up this morning. We were driving on 33, and a guy stuck in his cornfield, a six-foot uh, 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 cutout, and it looks like Bigfoot. So the people will drive by there and say, my God, I saw Bigfoot, I did. I saw him, he was in the cornfield. And then the reality show is going to come, and you know what I mean. So the disciples saw him walking, but immediately Jesus arose and spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not what? Be afraid. I thought he already dealt with fear. And now he's sent them, listen, they're out here now in the middle of A and B. And so now Jesus, he's not in the boat, is he? He sent them by themselves now. But where was Jesus in the midst of the storm? He was right there with them. Do you, do you, can, you, can you see that? The, the storm was raging, and they were in the boat, and Jesus just crossed his eyes and his arms and looked at him. He's walking on the water. He's waiting to see what, what they're going to do now. See, this is the next test. 
your faith always has a place of testing. And you're only going to pass the test when you believe in your heart that Jesus can see you through it. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out, uh, come to you on the water. And Jesus said, it's me, come on. God, what an awesome thing. I mean, what an awesome thing. Come on out, Peter. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. It really worked. See, when, when you trust Jesus, when he says come, it really works. The problem is, is that we take our eyes off the prize so many times. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. There's fear again. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And as he was bringing him out of the water, give me your hand, Jay. So you're, you're sinking. Jesus is pulling you out of the water. And he says, oh, you of little faith. When are you going to get it? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The third thing the enemy wants to do is have you doubt the Lord. Didn't he do that all the way back in Genesis? Did God really say, are, are you really sure? Let me help you get into a place to where you doubt things. Remember, John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And doubt is a huge thing. What does the, the Bible say about uh, a double-minded person? They're what? Unst they're unstable in half of their ways. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you, do you have the king, the real King James, or is that not? Because the new king, okay. They're unstable in all of their ways. And Jesus knew that. That he didn't want them to be in, in, unstable in any way. And when they got into the boat, when he got into the boat, they got into the boat, the wind ceased. When he and Peter got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came worshiping him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What happens when you begin to pass a test? You say those same things. Truly, man, you are amazing. Truly, you are the Son of God. Where are we going next? Fourth thing, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees, whenever you read that, you know something squirrely is coming up. Those mugs were trying to trick Jesus every turn they made, everything they did. Why is that? Because they wanted to hold on to their power. And if there was a real savior here, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees lost their position. Squirrely mugs. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came testing him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Not that he hadn't already shown 15 chapters worth of signs. And he answered to them saying, when it's evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. I love that. Ugh. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's something for you to think about on your own, because that's a whole other message. But verse 5 then says this. 
Now the disciples had come to the other side and they had forgotten to take the bread. This is, this is important. Remember I just gave you the lesson of that God gives you more that you need when you get into that place to where your faith gets into, he's trusted you with a little, with a little, with a little. Now they're at a place that they forgot to bring bread to the other side. How many of y'all have been in Subway and they're just putting those, those loaves of bread in the oven and they smell amazing, don't they? Well, trust me, they put enough in there so that you have bread for your sub. It's not just to tease you that this bread smells good. They put enough in there so that you will have bread for your sub. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In other words, don't be influenced by them. And then it says, they reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we have taken no bread? Listen, when you lay your dreams out in front of somebody who has no faith, there's going to be a whole lot of reasoning going on. And let me just tell you this, too. When you lay your bread, you lay your dreams in front of somebody that's close to you, a friend who has no faith, there's going to be even more reasoning that goes on with that. Listen, when Tammy and I said that we, we went over and told my parents that God was calling us into the ministry and that we were going to make what we were going to make and basically have no benefits, no nothing, no, no anything but this little income, my mom's reaction immediately was, is you can't do that. Harold, tell him he can't do that. How are you going to live? How are you going to feed Tammy and the girls? How are you going to have insurance? What's going to happen when things come up? You need to stay at the place your dad and I stayed for 30 years and got nowhere, but you need to be there too. You need to be there so Rockwell can lay you off time and time again, but then leave town ultimately, but that's where you need to be. Her faith was in a company that gave her a paycheck and laid them off four times. Four times while I was growing up. The last time was when I was in high school and able to work and I had to help pay their bills. And that's what she wanted me to gravitate to. Now, I love my mom and she was looking out for me. But the person who was closest to me wanted to reason with me to talk me out of the place where God wanted me to go. It happens all the time. Now, how's that going to happen? How will that work? What will that really look like? Are you serious? Now, you really can't do that. And that's where a little leaven of the Pharisee comes in. You plant a seed like that from somebody that's close to you, then they're going to talk you out of the place that God wants you to ultimately be. You know, it costs you something. That's why Jesus says, count the cost. It costs you something to get to the place that God wants you to be. And they reasoned among themselves saying, is it because we have no bread? That's why he's busting our chops about the Pharisees. And Jesus being aware of it said to them, oh ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember why do you think when we take communion, Jesus said, do this what? 
in remembrance of me. Remember all of the amazing things that I have done for you. Let your mind focus on those and remember those things I did cost me my body and it cost me my blood. I gave my most valuable things so that you could walk by faith into the destiny that you have and you can trust me. Do you not yet understand and remember the five loaves of the five thousands and listen, how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves or the four thousand, how many he upped at one? Large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to be where uh, or he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees. I mean, they were in the midst of the guy who makes bread. And they were wondering if he was upset with them because they didn't have any bread. What Jesus wanted them to say is, hey, Jesus, dude, craziest thing. You're not going to believe this, but we forgot bread. So we went ahead and sat at the table, and when we turn around, we know that there will be bread there, and probably more than what we could have ever brought on our own because the boat was too small. But Jesus said, no, you reasoned among yourselves, and you took me out of the equation. When you reason about the destiny that God has given you, you always take God out of the equation, and instead of a big G, you call him a little g. A God and not the God. And so the enemy knows. And Jesus taught his disciples that these four areas are where your faith is going to be challenged the most. And you need to understand, I am standing right beside you to help you carry out the things that I've given you to do. Would you stand with me today? Oh, I don't know about you, but listen, I want to have more faith. And if I don't think I have enough faith, I just want to believe on that little faith that I have. Because it's not about me and my faith. It's about the God who does the impossible. Amen. And he said, if I just have a little faith, then mountains can be moved. Amen. Amen. Mm. How many of you would say today that, Pastor, I'm going to need... I'm going to be like those disciples that I got something that I'm headed towards in the kingdom and I need God to increase my faith. How many of you would join me and say yes to that? Father, you see our hands. You know that we believe in a good God. We're not here to reason amongst ourselves of if you can do it. We're here to say, Father, we've lifted our hands and we say we know you can do it. But Father, you've given us, it's amazing, Father, how many people in here feel like you've called them to do something special. And so, Father, we ask that you would increase our faith to an even bigger level. That you would increase our faith to even more of a substantial place. 
that you would move us beyond where the enemy would want to trick us, that, Father, we want to trust you for provision. We want to move beyond fear. We never want to waver in our belief to you, and surely we're not going to reason amongst each other of what you can't do, but we're going to encourage each other, stir up that good work that's within us all to increase our faith, and then watch what you do. Father, I just pray today that each person in this uh, congregation would take their hands off their dream and put that dream into your hands. Because I know, Father, you're able. You're able, not only able, but you're willing. Father, for that person who thinks that you've walked away in the midst of their storm, give them that vision of you standing by the boat in the middle of the water, watching over the disciples to make sure nothing happens to them. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good things of the Lord. And so, Father, today... Let us not just sing about it. Let us walk it out. And by faith, we will see exactly what you are going to accomplish. Father, we pray today for our president. We ask, Father, that you would watch over him, that you would strengthen he and the first lady. Father, that no weapon formed against them would prosper. Father, we pray, God, for strength, for our leader, strength for our president, strength for his wife, strength for their family, strength for all of the cabinet members and everyone who has been affected by this outbreak of COVID in that situation. Father, we know that you are able, we know what you can do, and so protect them and strengthen them and heal them in Jesus' name. Let this be a tremendous testimony of your faithfulness. And when all the naysayers start yapping their lips, Father, I pray that you silence the mouths of the fools and bring complete healing to our leader, our president. We thank you for what you are doing in this nation. And Father, I'm excited to see the Romans 8.28 moment that is going to come out of this whole deal that everybody is reasoning about right now. Because God, you're bigger, way bigger than this. Way bigger than this. Father, I just lift up Rachel and the Coolidge family as they prepare their trek back to California, preparing for her husband to come home who's serving in the military. Watch over them, keep them. Father, uh, let them not just be safe, but let all the logistics of everything that has to work out, let it happen. And Father, we just pray that the things that Rachel got to touch, see, and be a part of here, Father, will transfer to the place that she's going back to. And that, Father, that she could be a great warrior for the things of the Lord. Father, watch over all of us. Keep all of us. Let us move from victory to victory into the ultimate destiny that you have for us as individuals and for us as a church. And Father, today we give you praise in Jesus' name.
And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.